0: To the Broadcast Basement on Demand Radio Network.
1: It's the podcast. In the broadcast basement.
0: Broadcastbasement.com.
1: Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Canapolis, Winston, Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox podcast. My name is Mike Rankin, James Fox. Alongside us as always, today's a special treat because Bill Mitchell of Baseball America is with us. He covers the Chicago White Sox organization and follows a lot of the prospects firsthand, up close and personal, especially in Arizona. So Bill, welcome back to the podcast. We love talking to you. Thanks so much for jumping on again.
2: Glad to be here. Thank you for having me again.
0: So what's uh, on the agenda for you now that the you know year's coming to an end? What's your responsibilities over at Baseball America? What keeps you busy?
2: Well, nothing uh, baseball-wise right now. than I, I do a monthly article uh, on an, a Royals player that will be coming up pretty soon. But right now I can do some of my other hobbies and, and get some other things done and then just take some downtime.
0: I wanted to ask, too, your experience covering the organization this year specifically out in Arizona and maybe some of the conversations you've had with various scouts around the league. What's the feel, I guess, around the league of where the White Sox stand? I know you have your perspective, but is there anything that you gain from outside scouts looking in?
2: There is some improvement in the organization. Uh, you know, it's still not a top 20 organization, but it's no longer number 30. And they, uh, there was a number of uh, pitchers took steps forward, uh, which we'll talk about later. I thought they did very well on the draft. So uh, there's there's some positive signs for everybody.
3: So, you know, some of those pitchers taking positive steps, and you talked about the draft. I think the White Sox – Surprise some people, you know, they they've been they haven't been shy taking prep pitchers lately, but they hadn't taken one in the first round in 20 years, Bill. And, you know, they took local product, Noah Schultz. I know you were out in Arizona, saw him a little bit in instructs. Just what what can you share with the listeners and just, you know, your general thoughts on uh, Noah Schultz and what you saw out in Arizona?
2: And I had seen him the previous year in the perfect game All-American, but that was one inning in a a showcase game. But uh, I I got to see his first inning in a White Sox uniform, uh, and then I saw him one other time when he pitched two innings, and he was outstanding both times. I didn't write down all the stats from the time he was pitching, but I'm thinking he had seven or eight strikeouts in combined in those three innings that I saw him. And he wasn't just throwing against uh, younger talent. The first time was against the Guardians, and they had uh, a couple of Division I draft picks, uh, top 10 draft picks uh, in the lineup, and he was doing quite well against uh, them. Uh, he's going to need a lot more development time. You know, he missed a lot of his high school season. So they're they're probably they're going to be able to take him fairly slow. I look for him to probably start the season in extended spring training, just to manage his innings for the year. But there's a lot to like about this kid. You know, you've got a six nine left hander, a potential plus plus fastball. Up to 97, a really good slider with a high spin rate uh, and a really deceptive windup. And you can imagine uh, a six foot nine guy with uh, deception coming at you. That's going to be rough on hitters.
3: One of the other things that I found interesting is just, yeah, like how much is he really going to pitch and you know you mentioned starting in in arizona possibly james feegan's a writer for the athletic here kind of mentioned that he thought the org maybe like 100 innings is like the most optimistic path there so my guess is he gets to canapolis at some point you think right but probably starts an extended spring
2: i would guess so one other thing i'll add i I went over to the winter meetings uh, last week just because it was in san diego i could drive over i had no other reason to be there than just to go hang out Meet, uh, run into baseball people that I know, meet some new people, hit some of my favorite restaurants and breweries. Uh, but uh, while I was there, the White Sox uh, top 10 uh, dropped on Baseball America and I did a chat session. And then I headed into the hotel to just kind of roam around. And the first person I ran into was Chris Getz, And the first question he said had was, do You have Noah Schultz in the top 10? So that kind of tells me that yes, <laughs> the White Sox are real interested in him.
0: That is awesome. Do you have anything else that you gathered from the winter meetings experience? Because you know, baseball, I think, is in a funny time just in general where we're seeing the market changing, more money, long-term contracts, players like Andrew Benettoni, who just signed with the White Sox, get $75 million, and people kind of were taken aback by the number itself. But that's essentially where baseball stands now financially. I'm just curious what you heard, um, just rumblings around the winter meetings and your experience there.
2: Not much because I wasn't credentialed. I didn't get to go into any of the meetings or presentations or anything. I was mainly just in the hotel lobby, just running into people, running into mm-hmm. friends uh, in the hotel bar until it would get too loud and crowded in there uh, and then I, like i said i was out looking for food i had uh, some uh, 80 grade chicken wings at a at, nice. a at a noodle house and i found a taco place that had an 80 al pastor taco <laughs> so i consider those my best
0: accomplishments Oh, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I'm just curious your perspective. How do you think the health of baseball stands at this point? Is there more dedication to organizational depth and reliant on talent, young talent? Or do you think that there is still value in spending on big name free agents?
2: I think it depends on the team, uh, the organization. Obviously, you look at someone like the New York Mets, they have just dropped a lot of money on uh, pitchers, outfielders, and uh, you know they're, they're going for it. The White Sox haven't done too much in free agency, but uh, there's still time. Uh, there's still time to build up their team for next year. The fact they have a new manager, and I did meet Pedro when I was there, uh, so um, I think that's a positive sign.
3: So, you know, Bill, one of the things you mentioned in your, your writing so far at baseball America and with the top 10, you know, you kind of mentioned that the system is improving and obviously like, look, we know they're in the mid twenties or so probably like once rankings come out. But one of the reasons for that, that you mentioned, you know, the addition of just like some right-handed pitching in their system. Can you elaborate on that? And maybe some of the guys that you like uh, from that demographic.
2: Well, the two players that really jumped up this year, the two pitchers that uh, moved well up into, into the top 10 are Sean Burke and Christian Mena, and I think Mena's one to really get excited about and follow. He's still a young kid, but very mature for his age. Uh, let's say he spent the whole year at 19, and he's learning English. He's gotten, uh, From what I understand, he's uh, taken his English lessons very seriously, uh, but just on his own, he went and added another pitch during the season. Uh, it was, you know, he's very car- curveball heavy, but, uh, during the season throwing in the bullpen, he added a uh, slider wh- that has good sharpness and depth. So, uh, you know, he's gotten stronger. Uh, I think he was 170 pounds when he signed and we stout now have him at 6'2, 214. So that is one to really watch, uh, when I assume he's going to get to double A this year. He finished the year with the Project Birmingham, but I believe he'll be in double A next year and uh, he'll only be 20 years old. So certainly one to uh, keep an eye on. There are a couple other pitchers that had good seasons. Uh, Of course, we know about Jared Kelly. We know about Matthew Thompson. Uh, They both showed some progress this year. I don't know that how much uh, is known about Cole Seamus, who was a non-drafted, free agent in the 2020 COVID five round draft. Uh, he took some steps forward this year. Uh, and again, then you drafted pitchers like Peyton Paulette, who uh, obviously is out with Tommy John and will still be uh, on the sidelines for much of 2023. And then Jonathan Cannon, who is just outside the top 10, uh, more of a uh, back end starter uh, type coming out of Georgia. So there is some there should be some excitement with this right-handed pitching.
0: Now, I hate to do this to you. Two questions within one here, because you mentioned Cole Seamus. You were the one who tipped us off to the right-handed pitcher in Seamus and the way he jumped on the scene. I'd love to know more about him and your perspective in in terms of the growth that he's had across the full season, as well as Jonathan Cannon. He had a cup of coffee in Arizona before getting up to single A and pitched a little bit in his draft season. Just those two in particular, what you like about them.
2: Seamus uh, is good for pitch mix. Uh, there are some scouts that look at him and say that we think uh, he, with his mentality and his demeanor that he'd really do well in a bullpen role. And uh, you may be familiar that his dad was a pitcher and a reliever in the White Sox system many, many years ago. So uh, there's some bloodlines there. But he's got a fastball, sits around 92. It's really effortless delivery. Touches up to 97. A uh, breaking ball is a 12-to-6 curveball, has tight break and um, and average movement, and he uses it early in the count for strikes. Uh, it needs some improvement, and that's going to be a big key. Uh, he's also got a slider and uh, a change-up uh, that he throws with good arm speed and arm action. So And he throws all his pitches for strikes, and we don't see enough of that in baseball anymore. Just, uh, it's, so it's good when somebody can uh, can just get out there and throw strikes. As far as Canon, I caught one. I caught, I think, three innings of him in, in instructional league, and a good, a good frame. A really good pitch ability. Again, a lot of average pitches. He'll, like I said, he's he projects as a back end of the rotation starter.
3: Yeah, Bill. So, I mean, anybody else out there that you know maybe you want to talk about as far as a sleeper that you know we should keep an eye on? And then, did you did you get a chance to see Tanner McDougall at all? Did he pitch in instructional league?
2: Uh, he only threw bullpen sessions. From what I understand, I did not see him. I, I physically saw him and talked to him and he's gotten really, really strong and, and, uh, muscular, uh, big chest, uh, at this point. So he's done well in his conditioning during his time. And I heard really good results, uh, in his bullpens. Uh, the fastball was back up to 76. Uh, the curveball was looking like a future plus pitch. Uh, so he should be ready to go in spring training. As far as a couple other sleepers uh, in, the, in the pitching staff, how much do you know about Eric Adler? He was a sixth-round pick. Uh, are yeah. you familiar with him at all?
3: Yeah, so interesting guy. Me and Mike talked about So I think maybe like some scouts said like 65 fastball with a good break or two, but a ton of walks in college.
2: Yeah, his ERA was ugly. It was terrible. Uh, if you look at what he did the summer before in the Cape Cod League, it was completely different. So he's a risk, but... If they can get him to throw more strikes, uh, it's closer caliber stuff. So uh, right now I have him just on the bubble of the top 30. By next year, he could be up there higher. One more name to throw out at you when we're talking right-handed pitchers is Drew McDaniel. He was a non-drafted this year out of Ole Miss. Uh, He's got uh, a four-pitch mix, gets good carry on a 94-mile-per-hour fastball, and he throws a lot of spin. He gets a lot of spin on his curveball. So those are a couple more uh, pitchers that, that are interesting in this organization.
0: Yeah, I love to hear four-pitch mix, those who project to be starters and have multiple pitches in the repertoire. It makes me feel good. And also, going back to what you said about Mena, The slider, the added slider. We saw the velocity tick up on his fastball. It's a difference maker already with the 12 6. That's been his best pitch and what's carried him to this point of prominence in his career. But to know that he's working on more on top of that frame is just really encouraging to us, Bill. So it's great to hear all of the insight that you have on the pitching that you were able to, to see firsthand. And I want to take you to Colson Montgomery. Not sure how much you saw him this year, but we are seeing him in the top 100 at Baseball America. Continues to climb the list. What's your opinion so far on his trajectory?
2: You're right. I did not see him much. He was hurt uh, during the early part of spring training. I believe uh, it was a minor league spring training game on the Last or next to last day of spring training, I got to see him take a couple of at-bats. Uh, not really a real good look, but I've talked to scouts who saw him. Uh, he's got a lot of tools. Uh, he's gotten stronger. Uh, they project the power to come. Uh, you know, The big question everybody has is, will he stay in shortstop, at shortstop? Uh, and right now, there's no reason why he shouldn't unless uh, he lets the body get out of control. And I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, it's, it was a good growth season for him this year.
3: Oscar Colas' this season. I know, like the transition's a little bit tough, like for some of the Cubans that come right over. But I mean, he he kind of hit immediately, and he you know he dealt with some wrist and hand stuff, but you know he was really good at Double A, and then a seven game sample in Charlotte. And the talk here is that he might you know he's he's going to be given every opportunity to break with the team and be the White Sox right fielder this year.
2: I don't want to say I was surprised because, uh, with, uh, any new player like that, who's been out for a year or two, uh, you don't know what to expect. So, uh, it was nice to see that he, he did that. Well, I, I saw him a few times in spring training. I was kind of, uh, I don't want to say I was stalking him, but I wanted to make sure to see him and get some plenty of photos of him. So I was following him around for a couple of days in minor league camp and I did get to see him, um, in minor league spring training games. And I liked what I saw. He had a good season. I think he's going to to have power. He's going to be a right fielder probably instead of a center fielder from what uh, I'm gathering from scouts. But uh, hey, that's what the White Sox need right now, a right fielder, right?
3: Yeah, that's what it seems like. And so I was surprised, like, you know, when they signed him, we did a lot on him. And look, I mean, there were some people that thought like DH first base eventually. And then he, he was playing center field this year, Bill, in the minors. And People that saw him said that he was like, okay, doing it. So he should, he should be fine in right field, I think.
2: We've got him down with a plus arm. So that's more than enough for right field. Uh, and he, he's a, at least an average fielder. He gets a good, uh, he's got good reads and instincts. So um, I don't think uh, defense is going to be his problem. Uh, like any, pit, uh, any, excuse me, any hitter going to the big leagues for the first time, it's uh, adjusting to the pitching and that will be the big thing.
0: Bill, we're excited about Oscar Colas in the big leagues, but we saw the White Sox add Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez to their 40-man protecting them from the Rule 5 draft. Specifically want to touch on Brian Ramos here because you know we're seeing a lot of hype surrounding the player, believing that he may be a fringe top 100 prospect. What's your opinion on that?
2: I am not involved in the top 100. Uh, I don't follow the other organizations other than the Royals very much, but I checked with an expert. I, uh, when, I, uh, when I knew you wanted to ask about Ramos's standing in the top 100, I checked in with Josh Norris this morning, who's very integral in helping to put together the top 100 for BA, and he says, no, he's not real close now, but you know, give him time. You know, he's still only... 20 years old. He won't be 21 until spring training next year. He's been young for every level he's played. He really had a nice season. Uh, he's gotten his body in better shape. Uh, uh, I talked to a Royal Scout who went and covered them during Project Birmingham, which I'm sure you've talked about. Everybody knows what what Project Birmingham was. But uh, when he first walked up to Ramos, he couldn't believe it, especially when he started talking because of how much better his English had gotten. Uh, It's just off the charts makeup. Uh, I think that goes into his report every year and probably will stay there through his career.
0: We talk extensively about Project Birmingham on this podcast, Bill, and I'm just curious what your opinion of that project was. The perspective that I have is that the White Sox are in a position, a very unique position, where their best prospects are sort of around the same age and sort of around the same competitive level where they can stack up against older competition. But the fact that it was just a month and there were so many players on the roster where it wasn't stressful for them to have to play all the time. And it was just an experience for them to see what they're headed towards, I think is Essentially the value that the players have gotten. We don't know tangibly what it'll do until we essentially see them progress throughout their careers. But I'm curious what your perspective uh, of Project Birmingham was and, and the idea from the White Sox organization, if it was a success or not.
2: I haven't really gotten feedback from the organization other than they they speak highly of what they've done, so I think they were satisfied with it. Uh, I like uh, that somebody thought outside the box and thought, okay, let's do something different this year. Uh, I feel it affected who they wound up sending to the fall league. Uh, I'll be very honest that the group that uh was sent to the fall league was uh was kind of underwhelming but uh and I understand you know Montgomery was tired by then because he played a lot of season, a lot of time Colos actually, I was surprised Colos didn't come to the fall league, but uh you know Ramos could have come to the fall league or Jose Rodriguez could have come back, but they got the work they needed uh in Project Birmingham. So uh, you, you almost have to rule it as success.
3: So, you know, one of those prep pitchers that we've talked about a lot is Jared Kelly. And, you know, it, it's been a little bit of a rough road, but I, th- I think he, you know, he started to show some improvement in one of the recent Baseball America chats that you did. I think you kind of agreed with that assessment. What, what did you mean by that? And what kind of growth has Jared Kelly made, you know, I guess last year in his first full season?
2: Well, the big thing that scouts noticed is that he started using his two-seamer more, uh, and he especially got back to his changeup, which was one of his—I think that was his best secondary pitch when he was in high school— yeah, overall, it was a good season for Kelly, and I, I think he will get back into the top 10. Uh, granted, it's a deeper organization, but I think he can get back into the top 10 with another strong season. The biggest thing I heard in talking about Kelly was he still needs to figure out who he is as a pitcher uh, and needs to improve his pitch ability. Uh, and of course, we know that he needs to continue. Uh, working on his body Uh, he's a big kid he's always going to be a big kid but uh, just continuing to keep it in in decent shape and not uh, uh, not affecting his command moving forward
3: you know and something I just kind of thought of and you know like we we've talked about Norhe Vera a lot and it's really good stuff right but he really didn't throw that many innings last year and he's a little bit older we've had this conversation on the podcast as far as like I think you let him start you know, like as long as you think that he can, right? But how, how does that work for organizations? Like, do you have any insight into, okay, like, you know, because they could probably move him quickly, like if they decided to pull the plug on starting and make him a power reliever. But like how how long of a process do you think that is?
2: At least for a few years with, uh, and he's barely pitched, so he, he doesn't have that many innings. Uh, because this year he didn't even pitch in minor league spring training or extended spring training, except for one inning that I saw before they sent him to canopolis So, you know, a lot of times we look at how many innings a guy gets and we never calculate, okay, yeah, he threw 20 or 30 innings in extended spring training. We never often don't take that into consideration because there's no records out there. But with Vera, he barely pitched at all. Anytime you're going to develop somebody or that you think they're long-term going to be a reliever, you still want to run them out as a starter as much as you can to get him that innings. Because if you're just putting him out in the uh, in as a, in a reliever role in the minor leagues, they're only getting a handful of innings per week. Which, uh, if you put him in a starter, you hope he's at least getting you know five or six every start. So um, you keep him there and wait and see what happens. Uh, I know there's some concern that uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, His velocity dropped. It was more down in the low 90s instead of the high 90s. And both people inside and outside the White Sox organization felt that, uh, all right, he was out of baseball for a while. He was hurt. And then he came and started pitching in Kannapolis and Winston-Salem. And the fatigue likely got to him if he comes back next year and is still throwing in the low 90s then there's maybe cause for concern but i, I don't think you'll see it i think you'll come back and you'll see norhe uh, vera throwing uh, 96 98 99 again but again you keep him as a starter to get a, he needs he needs plenty of innings plenty of repetitions
3: one of the young position players that that we've often talked about and Look, I think we might have unfairly written off this guy is, is Wilfred Varis because like, I kind of looked and I thought it was like a first-base DH-only profile. And yeah, he's got a lot of power, but it was a lot of strikeouts, right? So primarily playing the outfield now, how much does that change his profile if he's able to stick in the outfield?
2: from scouts that I talked to, they believe that he's probably left field only. So, you know, you guys have been around baseball a lot. If only, the only place you can play is left field, he may have the arm for right field right now. It's, it's, it's not real accurate is the problem. But, uh, even if he's uh, you know left fielder or right fielder, that puts more pressure in the bat that he's got to produce. Uh, and he had a good season. Uh, he still has a lot of work. You know, there's raw power there, but, um, there's still issues with his approach at the plate. Uh, so, yeah. You know, again, somebody that, that just needs more experience. Uh, well, he'll be – no, he's just turned 20 uh, last month. So he, he's still young and he has time.
0: Yeah, it's encouraging. And we saw the frame. Varys looks uh, strong. We'll call it strong. It's a big boy. Uh, so hopefully the power does translate. Bill, any updates on Lloyd del Considering where he's at in his professional career, do you see, uh, foresee him making a, a full season affiliate, maybe a leap this year in that regard? Absolutely. Uh, And he
2: was, and I think we, last time we talked, it was like, this was a guy I was anxious to see. I, I had heard so much about him, the height and weight just didn't seem to match what you would have in a middle infielder. And the first time I laid eyes on him, I thought, Oh God, look at this guy. This is, you know, it's, it's like a Jose Altuve body, but doesn't look in as good a shape as Jose Altuve. Well, the kid surprised me and he was playing second base uh, and, you know, I'm taking photos and they're turning a double play ball and he's catapulting over top the incoming runner and making the throw. Uh, and I thought, hmm, I guess he has a little more athleticism than I thought. Uh, yeah. And certainly he can swing the bat. He's got it gets good run times. But because of his experience, I uh, when you get your prospect handbook, uh, assuming uh, all my comments are still there, I tend to write too much and some things get edited out. I I think he could go to Winston-Salem and skip over Kanapolis. Awesome. And and that's just my guess right now. Just because of the experiences he had in Cuba and uh, the little bit he played in Mexico, Uh, I could see him going right to Winston-Salem.
3: I feel like the White Sox are really high on him too. Like some of the beat writers here kind of talked about him as a sleeper. And obviously I think he's 20 or 21 and – You know, playing down there, it was really tough. And I think I asked you this in season, Bill, like, how do you rank this guy? Because like his numbers were insane playing in the Dominican Summer League. And it it just wasn't really, you know, the appropriate level for him. But uh, it's good that, you know, there's there's been some positives with him.
2: With something like that, and the same with Norhe uh, Vera, when he was uh, uh, was pitching against uh, Dominican Summer League talent the year before. Uh, you just have to look at the tools. You can't look at the numbers. And, and really, at the lower minor league system, you don't look at numbers anyhow uh, that much. So, uh, you know, he's got the tools. Uh, he can run. He can throw. He can uh, play the field. Uh, there's a lot to like about Chapay and and to get excited about
3: he was part of the international class last year. He signed late, like with Colas, you know, one of the other guys that was kind of a big bonus guy was Eric Hernandez. He, he had kind of a rough season in the DSL. Did you get a chance to see him in instructional league?
2: I did. And I asked about, yeah, uh, you know, cause like you said, he had a rough season. His numbers weren't good. Uh, he had a knee problem. Yeah, he had a sore right knee. He started well uh, with the knee problem. His numbers went down, but um, I did see him in Instructional League. I saw a lot of the players that they brought up from the DSL, quite a few of them, in fact, and uh, I think he's going to be fine. He's more hit over power. The question is, can he stay in center field? That's a big uh, question with him.
3: One guy you mentioned, you said that you didn't really see him, but, you know, I I always find it interesting day three of the draft, like the money, right? Follow the money. And Jacob Burke signed for like $225,000, I think. So, you know, definitely somebody who the White Sox like, I mean, we heard like, you know, fiery competitor that should stick in center, that type of stuff. I think he, he went up to Canapolis. you know, when I can't wait to get my handbook, but. When you guys were having these discussions, did uh, Jacob Burke factor into that top 30 talk for you guys? Uh,
2: he's, his name came up, but uh, again, it's a little bit of a deeper organization. He's more in the 31 to 40 range. Uh, what I got on him, and I think two different people use this quote, he plays like his hair is on fire. And giving him a comparison to Adam Angle, tools the outfielder, runs well. It's, uh, you know, and again, if he's somebody like Adam Angle and you get that kind of career out of him, that's pretty good for an 11th round pick. So, again, I saw one at bat of him and a little bit of, you know, I think one ball hit to him in center field. So uh, uh, spring training, I definitely want to get get more of a look at at him uh, as well as a lot of other players.
0: Bill, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing uh, your expertise. Uh, how long have you been doing this, man? It's, it seems like uh, you've always been around in my life. When I follow baseball and organizations, I always see Bill Mitchell's name attached to some articles. Well, I uh,
2: actually started doing photos about twenty years ago, uh, just concentrating on the backfields. This is my second year doing the White Sox list. Uh, the first time I did a an organization top ten, I think was in. Two thousand nine, with the Diamondbacks. Oh yes, it was the year of the uh, Goldschmidt, uh, Chris Owings, Kean Broxton, mm. that draft. And yeah, I will say the Goldschmidt only ranked number ten, and that was the org- organization recommendation. I don't think they knew how good he was going to be. Uh, and then over years, I, I would uh, do the prospect ranking for the Arizona League and then the Pioneer League for about four or five years until that league went away. So, yeah, I've been around doing it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. We're lucky to have you and we, we appreciate your time. And we're happy that you are able to cover the White Sox because we need more information and you provide it. So thank you very much. Well,
2: Again, thank you for having me.
0: That's Bill Mitchell, of Baseball America. Check out Baseball America's updated top ten rankings and keep an eye on the top one hundred as they continue to evolve over time. in the White Sox, yeah, Bill said it. He's no, they're no longer the thirtieth ranked system in the league, so that's wonderful. And I don't know if you caught this when we brought up Jacob Burke. It is a little depth-laden. I love to hear that. It's about time to hear that the White Sox have some options internally. Love to hear it. Love talking to Bill Mitchell, as always. For James Fox, my name is Mike Rankin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. We drop episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you're listening every week. Thanks to SoxMachine.com for being our partner and the Blue Wire Network. Until next week, we'll talk to you all then.